0: Christmas time. I told you my neighbor, or a couple of streets up, has the countdown. So I'm reminded every time I drive down the road just how little time I have left and how much I have not done yet. <laughs> uh, 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 we, uh, our kids had some stuff at school last night, so my wife and I were chaperoning. We were out really late last night, and we are finally getting in bed. And I'm getting too old for this, right? And so I'm like, babe, I'm tired. She's like, I'm tired too. It's like, maybe tomorrow we can take a nap. She's like, nope, we got Christmas shopping to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> lots of coffee, we'll keep going So, Christmas time is almost here, great time of the year, fun time that goes on and, and tradition tells us that there's such a thing as Christmas magic and Christmas miracles And, and if, you are, if you're a non-believer in such things, then I encourage you to watch the Hallmark Channel It will have you a believer uh, in short order Because, you know, they, first of all, they all live in towns that look like you know, Christmas just erupted there right. Like they're, I, I, we're watching one. Sorry, I have to admit that I have two. Do, I have my wife and a daughter in the house, so I'm outnumbered. So uh, the funny thing is, I'm sitting on the couch and they're gone, and I'm still watching. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, and there, there's a scene where two people are, are are instant messaging back and forth, and so they have the split screen and it's both of them and they they're sitting one one the lady sitting in a overstuffed chair with hot cocoa with marshmallows on the top and the fireplace in the background is perfect. I mean the decorations are perfect. The guy who lives alone, now what guy does this? The guy who lives alone his house looks exactly the same but like a postcard. I'm like this is not real. This can't be real. But you know Christmas magic is real. So maybe it is. I don't know. You know, it's the season of the big guy with the red suit, the you know, flying reindeer and if you ever watched the Polar Express, you know, the bells that the reindeer wear. If you can hear them, you believe in Christmas magic and, and all of these fine things. And I'm sitting at Panera Bread working on this message this, uh, just this week. And Christian, pop that picture up. So I'm sitting at the fireplace at Panera Bread. And I'm thinking about the season and the magic of Christmas. And I'm thinking, technology has not been kind to Santa. I mean, back in the day, big chimneys, big fireplaces. Now we go ventless gas with not just non-sliding doors, but they've got, like, burglar bars on this thing. So I don't know what Santa has to do these days, but it's a tough gig, and he still only has the same amount of time to do it. I mean, come on, somebody. Christmas magic. (laughs) That's the real deal. That's a tough deal Santa's got to deal with. I don't know how he does it. I'll tell you this, though. The reality of it is there was a, a, a Christmas that started, right? Tradition's done a lot of things to shape it, but... I don't know when Jesus actually was born into this world. If we, if we really, if the world really realized just how, why is my this is bad when your iPad does something weird that it's not supposed to do? Um, uh, when when Jesus was born into the world, I mean things changed. The world changed its course, and I don't know that we, because of tradition and and uh, just, we don't always unpack the significance of that moment in time and. And, you know, some things get lost in history and 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 our, our traditions we pick up and and things that get absorbed into the holiday traditions. And, and you know, pretty soon we have a moment in time where there's a nativity scene where there's the baby in the manger and there's a, a cow and two goats and, and there's two shepherds and there's three wise men. And, and we now have this little image, right, that we even had it on the slide today. It's just it's one of those things that we've kind of captured. And because we kind of it's just a snapshot in time for us we don't understand the magnitude of what really transpired when Jesus was born into the world. And so today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that a little bit. We'll unpack a little bit about the stuff that we probably don't really know about as far as some of the Christmas traditions that we talk about. So we're going to talk about it. and the reason why we're going to talk about that is cuz today I'm talking about the gift of worship. And it's hard to understand uh, maybe the magnitude of what transpired in that time frame, and so therefore it doesn't really spark any any significant amount of worship out of us. But, but we're going to talk about it a little bit, unpack it a little bit, so we can kind of understand uh, the significance and, and ignite a fire in our heart that would begin... Uh, this heart of worship in us, and we 're going to talk about what that looks like so let let 's go to uh, the scripture, Matthew chapter two. Uh, this is part of the the birth of Jesus and the the story that is told through the gospels and so in Matthew chapter two, verse number one, it says, "After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Mag- magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews?" And pay attention to this statement here. We saw his star when it rose and have come for one reason, to worship him. And we'll skip forward to verse number 9. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Pretty cool story, right? So I just want to, this is the only time that these men, the magi, or they're called wise men, or they're called kings. This is the only time in scripture these people are mentioned. And so I just want to take a moment real quick and just kind of lay a little foundation, help you understand the significance of these guys showing up around the birth time of Jesus. This is the only time the Bible mentions these guys. It doesn't really give us much detail. It just says that they were, uh, they were obviously, they were, had some means. They were wealthy to some degree, and they were very educated, and they traveled from a very far distance. Uh, I heard uh, one southern country comedian say that the three wise men were firemen. are like, well, what do you mean they're firemen? And the Bible says they come from afar, so, down south, it's far, and they were farming. Never mind. Sorry about that. I, I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> so, the Bible doesn't really... The Bible doesn't... <laughs> some of y'all up north like, what is he talking about? We're just south enough of the Mason-Dixon line to get it, right? All right. So historians and scholars have researched these people and we we just kind of have come to the conclusion that there are three and and basically if you study it out you find the reason why we say there were three is because there were three gifts and so we just kind of history kind of condensed it to three guys there's even there's even some names that are potentially attached to these guys but none of that really is the significant part the significant part is who they are and what they represent these these wise men these kings came from a culture or a tribe or a group of people that were very educated. Uh, astrology was a science in those days, and they studied the stars. And not only did they study the stars, but they also were very intellectual people. In fact, when you, when you unpack the scripture, you find out one of the things they said was they saw the star when it rose. So they had been studying the sky enough to know that there was a new star in the constellations that's pretty significant. I wouldn't know if a new star showed up. Of course, where we live, you know, with all the lights, you can not hardly see stars anyway. But in those days, they studied it. They understood it. But here's even more of a uh, sneak peek kind of into who these guys were, because they studied scripture and scrolls and history from other lands because they were reading from one of the old prophets, the prophet Isaiah, who wrote about the birth of Jesus, right? So these were very well-educated, learned men, and so when they saw this star rise, then they took out on a journey to go to where this king was going to be born so that they could worship this king. It's interesting to me, I never really paid attention to it in Scripture, that they saw the star when it first showed up. So they knew enough about the star, they knew enough about the writings of Isaiah and other prophets that they knew even where approximately this king was going to be born to. And so it was significant <clears throat> that they that they went there because they wanted to pay homage to a new king. Now, it, it varies; history varies on where these guys came from. Could have been Persia, Babylon, uh, and it, even as far away as India. So, so I, I I started thinking about this like these guys traveled from, let's say, India all the way to Bethlehem. And they didn't have Google Maps, but I do, so I Googled it, right? And I could see just how far, it's like 2,500 miles from a location in India to Bethlehem. And so then I got to thinking, well, they didn't have an airplane, they didn't have a train, they didn't have automobiles. So how did they get from point A to point B? Well, the logical thing would be a horse or a camel. So, you know, Google even knows how fast you can go on a mile on a camel. So I called my wife, she helped me do some math, and we figured this out. Okay, if they rode eight hours a day, it would have taken them four months to get from where they started to where Jesus was. So, first myth we've kind of debunked is they didn't show up when he was in the manger. Okay, so we'll just leave that there. It doesn't really matter. It's fine if you have your nativity scene. You don't have to go and take those guys out of the picture. They're fine. You can leave them. So, let's just say they did that. So, your average camel gets about two and a half uh, uh, miles an hour. So, it's not very fast. And so these guys, let's say, let's say they rode eight hours a day, four months. Let's, they didn't ride eight hours a day, and I'm sure they had a posse with them. I mean, kings don't travel alone. Somebody had to carry the gold and frankincense and So you get this train of camels and donkeys, and and then you get the stubborn donkey, and that probably cost them a couple hours one day. I mean, it took them a long time to get there. That's the point, right? It could have taken them a year. So history explains to us that. This undertaking was not, oh, there's a king born, let's go, you know, let's give him some gifts and pay homage. No, these guys had studied this out enough to understand the significance, not of the fact that a star was in the heavens that wasn't there before. Not only this was going to be a king of the Jews, because if you'll notice, when they met with Herod, they said, We have come to worship the king of the Jews. They knew who he was. They knew who he was. And so they set out on a journey for one reason. And that was to worship this king that they knew was going to be born. And so there's a lot of significance in that action, right? You guys didn't know that about the wise men, did you? I didn't either last week. What is worship? If we don't know what something is, we always go to Webster to figure it out, right? It simply means reverent honor and homage paid to God or to an object regarded as sacred. Homage is respect or reverence paid or rendered. So the question I have for you today, just to think about, is what is worship? What is the act of worship? Is it, is it what we just did a few minutes ago with people singing and music playing? Is that worship? Um, is worship something that can only be done in a church building? Is worship something that can only be expressed in the form of, of singing? If that's the case, a lot of us can't worship. Um, is it something that is, that's an action? Is it something that I have to do uh, in order to say, okay, I worship today? So so there's a lot there's a lot that goes into you know what what this actually is what the act of worship is and in the case of these three kings we call them three right in the case of these kings they went there with the simple focus on worshiping this king that they knew had significance and so it wasn't about what this king was going to do was it because he was still a child history says he was somewhere between birth and two years old, because when Herod heard of this, he sent soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every male child that was two years old and younger, to try to eliminate this potential threat of a king. Okay, so Jesus could have been, you know, one and a half, maybe close to two years old by the time they showed up. He hadn't done anything. He didn't even have a kingdom. But it wasn't about what this king was able to do, was it? It was about who this king was, wasn't it? So they came all this distance to give, and there's significance in the types of gifts that were picked. But all of this way to, to worship, the Bible says they fell on their knees and they worshiped. So the worship was the focus of their journey. So here's what I have to tell you about the act of worship. I want you to get this. If you take notes, write this down. If you have a, an incredible memory, just remember this. The act of worship is less about what you do and more about the why you do it. Right? The act of worship is less about what you do and more about the reason you're doing it. If our worship, for example, is born only as a result of something good that God has done for us, then we misunderstand the true value of worship and we begin to focus on the what as opposed to the thing behind that, right? So we start to measure our acts of worship Based off what we feel like God has done for us, are you following what how this works right if we if god does, God does something amazing for us, then we got you know we 're going to really turn the worship on, but if he just kind of did a little miracle for us, not that big of a deal, then you know i 'm going to tip my hat and acknowledge the man upstairs follow it 's more about. It's less about what you do and more about the why behind it. John chapter 4, I'll give you just a little bit of understanding right where we are in this story. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. In those days, the Jews and the Samaritans did not mix well at all. They were at odds. And part of the reason they were at odds has to do with where they felt they should worship. The Jews said one location, the Samaritans said it. So there was conflict over where they should worship God. So the irony of what we're talking about today is not lost on me in the fact that when Jesus is talking to this Samaritan, he's having this conversation, Jesus says to her, "You Samaritans worship what you do not know." Right? They worship what they did not know. We worship talking about the Jews, what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And he says this, but I don't want you to I don't want you to freak out, person. I don't want you to worry because What's actually happening is there's a time that's coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, to the Samaritans, they were focused on the action of worship, the what? They were at odds because they felt like their location and their actions and the way they did it was better than the Jews. And Jesus said to her, You don't understand. You're focused on the wrong things. If you focus on the action of worship, you miss the heart of worship. If you focus on the deeds that you do, you miss the reason why you do the deeds. Are you following me? If there's a paradigm shift that happens and he was telling her, you don't understand yet the reason why I'm telling you this, but I'm here to explain to you that pretty soon you're going to start focusing less on the action part and focus a little bit more on the why are you worshiping anyway. Because what Jesus was wanting her to understand, what Jesus wants us to understand today, is that worship comes from the heart. And so it doesn't matter if you're in line at Walmart, or if you're driving down the road, or if you're working at your job. Worship is who you are. And you worship from your heart, not from actions that you perform. It's less about what you do, and more about the reason that you're... Are you with me? And so when he says that the Father is seeking, he's looking for people that will worship him in spirit, from the heart. And truth is the knowledge, right? So from the heart comes the act of worship. The thing that makes worship a gift from us to God is the fact that he is seeking it. How many of you have kids that have circled catalogs and sent you wish lists and and put 57 things in your Amazon cart? (laughs) Because they are seeking those gifts. So, if you're going to be a good Santa, if you're going to let Santa know what your kids need for Christmas, they've got a list to work with. Right? So, The presents aren't going to show up with random things like, I don't know, where did this, why did I get this? I didn't ask for house slippers, I asked for Nintendo. (laughs) Simply put, if the Father is seeking it, isn't that what we should be giving? Simply put, if He's looking for someone that worships from a heart that worships and worries less about the actions that they're doing, if they're doing it right or doing it wrong, but let it lets it come from their heart. If he's looking for that, is that not the best gift to provide? Don't give him lots of actions that don't mean anything. Give the action the heart of what he's searching for. If he tells you, look, I just want you to worship me from inside, then don't worry about all the actions that you have to focus on, whether I'm doing this church thing right or not. Don't worry about those details. Worry about letting this out. Worry about making your journey to find the the king, not because of something he's done for you, but simply because of who he is and what he represents. True worship is born when you understand I'm worshiping him simply because he's him. Another way to say it is if, if he doesn't give me anything else or do anything else for me, does that determine whether or not I worship him? If it's a gift and if it comes from our heart and if it is a place uh, that is born from within us, and here's the, here's the thing, right? The thing that, that causes something to have value is when you place value on it. If your marriage isn't working very well and you don't value your spouse, then chances are your spouse doesn't feel valued and chances are there's going to be some problems. might result in pans flying across the room or holes getting punched in the wall or whatever myriad of things may transpire, lots of arguments and grief and gripes. How many women? Okay, we're gonna. It's gonna get real. How many wives in the room have ever thought, "I, I wish my husband would treat me the way he treated me when we were dating." <laughs> I only got a couple of hands. My wife is not allowed to raise her hand. <laughs> right? Value. What is it when you're doing when you're courting the girl? Right? It's a va- I value this this being. And so everything we do is about making sure that person knows that we value them more than every other male in the, in the human race, right? And so we, we are expressing this value. You get married, you get comfortable, and you forget about that kind of stuff, and you just get busy with life, and you forget to express value. Value is what you place on something. I can tell you all day long how wonderful our Savior is, but until you place value on who He is, your worship will be very anemic, or non-existent. Does that make sense? These kings came to find this babe in a manger because they valued who he was. That was all they had. They didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't know he was going to raise dead people. They didn't know he was going to feed 5,000 men with a, a small lunch They didn't know that he was going to perform all kinds of miracles, turn water into wine, all these amazing things that he did. They had no idea those things were going to happen, did they? No. He was less than two years old. But they valued who he was. They valued him as a king. They valued him as a significant king, the king of the Jews. And so they simply made this journey to go and worship him because of who he was, not what he could do. That is a major paradigm shift for us. We get so used to doing church and doing religious things that we focus on the action and less about why we're doing them to begin with. More about, are you doing this right? Are you doing this wrong? How much should I do? How much should I pray? How much should I give? How much should I I be? Where should I show up to church all the time? Where can I pray? Do I have to be in my black chair on Sunday morning to pray? I mean, what is worship? How do I do it? When do I do it? All those things become action uh, involved, they become very they become very natural and very carnal in their existence. When all God is saying to us is push all that stuff to the side, quit arguing about where it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to be done, and focus more on the heart of worship. That's the gift He's looking for: is people that will just worship Him in spirit. In other words, knowing who He is, just because He's God, I worship. And the what doesn't really matter. It takes care of itself. When a heart of worship wants out, friend, it'll come out. It'll come out in the way we talk. It'll come out in the way we behave with other people. It'll come out in the way we act to people that do not know Christ. It'll come out in the way we treat our spouse. It'll come out in the way we treat our kids. It'll come out in the way we conduct our business. It'll come out in the way we work our job. When we have a heart of worship, it begins to come from in here and shine out. It's, listen, it's not my words that win someone's heart to Christ. It's my actions. It's the story I'm telling with the way I'm living that draws people to Christ. And when we have a heart of worship, when it comes from a place within us that says, you know... He's just awesome. And so therefore, worship is just going to come out of me. Another way the scripture says it, he says it this way, which is very odd in our, in our context. But it says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That's a very odd depiction. I mean, we don't go around talking like that. But what that simply means is from your insides will flow out of you something that is significant. They use water because how refreshing is water when you're thirsty? Right, They use water because without water you can't grow anything, can you? So out of your insides, out of your heart, out of the place inside of you, out of your spirit, will flow this water, this refreshing thing that people around you will recognize. That's what a heart of worship is, and that's what the gift of worship is. That's what the Father is seeking. This is pretty cool. That's what the Father is looking for. Worship team, you guys can come. didn't take me long to get this one out today. There's nothing more significant, I don't think, in this season where we have traditions and we have gift-giving and we have a lot of things that we love to do with family and and the Christmas story. A uh, couple weeks, you're going to come here. It's going to be an awesome Christmas Eve service. You're going to hear the Christmas story in an amazing way. It's going to be awesome. Make sure you're here. It's going to be fantastic. But when we're hearing all this stuff, understand that we're reading the highlight reel understand that we're getting a snippet of what transpired we can't unpack the emotional context of a husband and a very very expecting wife who's riding on a donkey who's looking for a place to stay who ends up finding nothing but a stable Try to put yourself, all the guys that have kids. Try to put yourself in that, in the, in the sandals of Joseph, with the emotions that's wrapped around that moment of him trying to figure out, I can't. What do I do? There's nowhere for me to take my bride who's about to have a child. I mean, I know it's a different culture, but people died at childbirth. It was a big deal. And we tell the story and we read the quick version and we don't really unpack the significance of what's going on behind the scenes. And to know that men of renown and education and and wealth sought out this child king simply because of who he was should tell us a story about this gift of worship, should help us understand the significance of what it means when we when we choose to to focus more on our heart's response to Christ than the deeds and actions that we spend a lot of attention on. See, from from the right heart will come the right actions. But if you just focus on the actions and don't change the heart well, that's why we have a lot of fighting in church. And that's why we have a lot of people that have been hurt by religion. And that's why we have a lot of people that have walked away from Christ. Because the actions without the heart make a task too heavy to carry. And when Jesus came, He came to break that bondage. He came to set it straight. He came to say, listen, Quit focusing so much on the act of worship and focus a lot more on the heart of worship because that's where life comes from.